from Sydney Media in Melbourne. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Hey everyone, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity from Sydney Media. Um, we are going to have a great podcast. This is our first podcast of the season. Um, we'll be podcasting fortnightly for the rest of the year um, through the Sin website. I'm Julia Pillay. And I'm Emma Gunn-Williams. And today we're going to be discussing a lot of things. We have segments um, about pretty much everything from Amy Schumer to My Little Pony. <laughs> It's a bit of a diverse thing, but today me and Amaret are going to be discussing a lot about um, the concept of invisible disability and how that relates to neurodiversity. But first, here's a segment. Great minds don't think alike have gone to the streets to see if Melburnians know what neurodiversity is. So, there's a word called neurodiversity. Do you know what that means? No. Okay, can you guess what that means? New diversity? Neurodiversity. Neural, like uh, yeah, like your brain. All right, maybe to to it's a way to um, to encourage the people to be open mind and to think differently and not obeying the same way of thinking. You know, something to do with the brain. Is it like alternative ways of thinking? Um, that is being absolutely so having a neural pathway in my brain that is different to someone else's. Neural diversity. Yeah. Uh, means diversity of neuron. Kind of yeah. When somebody can think in different ways. Neurodiversity. Neurodiversity means me. Neurodiversity is everything from people who are mentally ill to people who are just mentally different. And yeah, I fall under that. We are here to talk about invisible disabilities and how this relates to neurodiversity. And we have Amaret who knows quite a lot about disability theory in the studio. So, Amaret, what is invisible disability? Well, uh, the basics of it is any disability that is hidden upon first sight. Anything that is just first off, someone isn't going to notice that you have a disability. So, obviously, you have physical disabilities, usually quite noticeable. So, you might have a a wheelchair user. That person's going to be in a wheelchair. They're going to be pretty obvious. But an autistic person, someone with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, they just walk around. They have, there's issues that affect them, there's things that don't. It's the exact same with physical disability. There's a range of different people. Um, physical People with physical disability can still have invisible disability and illnesses. So someone who's a wheelchair user might have chronic fatigue. And they might have had chronic fatigue before they became disabled. They might just have it as well as. Um, also good to note that some physical disabilities can also be invisible disability because if you have someone who's, say, an amputee and they've lost their leg um, or part of their leg, they might have a prosthetic and therefore all you're going to see when they wear long pants is a shoe. Yeah, like so Adam Hills, like... like you don't really think much about yeah, it until yeah. it talks about it. Exactly, exactly. So there's those sort of things as well that you're not always going to notice. I also know off. that chronic pain can be another physical yep, dis- yep. invisible disability depending it's something that's a condition where people can you know some days they might be using a wheelchair but some days they can just be walking mental illness that's a classic example of something that's usually very hidden you know schizophrenia can be hidden and then it cannot be you know if someone has uh voices and they talk to those those voices 
they can do that in public, they can do that in private. But things like depression, um, anxiety, PTSD, those things aren't always obvious until that person might have a break or they'll let you know about those issues that they're having and the things that they're going through at that point in time. Now, we've been talking a lot about particularly um, like disabilities um, that aren't physical, so things like ADHD mm-hmm. and Tourette's. Do you think there's ever times where these conditions, which we do kind of see as invisible, are visible? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, if if you, it really depends sort of sort what level you're having at that point in time. If you're autistic, and mm. most of the time you pass, which basically passing is you look normal, mm. which is in itself an issue. Um, how do we define that in the first place? But basically, if you're autistic and you know you're passing perfectly like everyone's like oh no you don't look like you have a disability whatever um and you have a breakdown or you get really really stressed and you can't control that breakdown and you're really really getting into it and you know there's people who pass quite easily who then have those breaks and suddenly it's like they're almost having a, what some would say it looks like a tantrum mm-hmm. and so that obviously is going to be someone's going to look at that and say, well, that's an issue. But then they might look at that person on any other day and that person's not having those issues. So there's always those sorts of things. Same with Tourette's. Tourette's varies very much. Someone might have a visual tick in which they hit themselves, pinch themselves. Um, They might say certain words repetitively. That's quite obvious Mm. if you're out in public, you're doing that. But then there's other things that are like facial tics that aren't necessarily really obvious when you first meet someone. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think, like, within the disability community, like, I know that there have definitely been times where um, I've known people who have invisible disabilities or if I've gone into a disability space and feel like, oh, um, where people kind of just assume because you look pretty ordinary that you're not actually supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. I've, I've had... Um quite a few times where my sister who's a wheelchair user has gone to a space with a friend who's on the spectrum or has like she has a friend who has chronic fatigue so sometimes she'll go into spaces with that friend and everyone will assume that that friend is a carer sibling friend who's there to you know help out if she needs it um and owning those spaces is really important and quite often if you go into a space that's predominantly owned by physically disabled people. So say you go to a charity event that is for muscular dystrophy or um, cerebral palsy, you're going to find that lots of people immediately own that space and say anyone who doesn't fit our model of what this the disability is at this point in time, you're not really meeting our standard almost. Mm-hmm. So it can be really difficult. Um, passing isn't always a privilege and you might be able to pass and then you're not recognised for what you actually are. Lots of people own their disability. And to go into a space where suddenly that disability is voided by other people Mm. is really, really difficult. And unfortunately, it's quite common. Yeah, I find it really strange how a lot of people seem to assume that being able to pass is 
you know, some sort of privilege. Yeah, and there's there's definitely privileges. You know, you're less likely to be harassed in the middle of the street than mm. someone who's physically disabled. You're less likely to have someone come up to you every five minutes and ask, do you need a hand or are you all right? But then there's legitimately someone who's physically disabled can go into a cinema or can go into public transport. People sort of part way and they're like, yeah, you know, you, you're going to need this extra stuff. Here you go, super easy. But as mm. soon as you have that... Um, you know, privilege, if we want to call it that, of passing, uh, what you do need is then lessened and people find it harder to accept that you need that thing. Yeah, I think it's, I think in this case, the concept of privilege is a pretty slippery slope. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, people tend to assume, um, you know, just, oh yeah, it's when people try to figure out who's got better off. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really think that's ever really helpful. And there's minuses and pluses to everything. Yeah, definitely. Every single experience is like that. We can't just say that one person has it better than the other all the time because it's not always true. Yeah. Well, this has been great and we'll be talking more about this later on in the podcast, but here's another segment. Hey, everyone. This is Nicola Howe. I'm going to be talking about a pony in the TV show My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, named Derpy Hooves. She started out as a simple background pony since the beginning of the show. The fans have noticed an animation error with the pony being cross-eyed, and the fans decided to name her Derpy Hooves. A few episodes later, she appeared more in the show, but in the background, with her love for muffins and derping around delivering mail. In season two the episode called The Last Roundup, she was finally named Derpy by the show and given a voice. Here's what it sounds like. Careful, Derpy! I want to do any more damage than you've already done. I just don't know what went wrong. While the fans, including myself, were really happy about this, some other people weren't. Some ignorant people started complaining and said Derpy Hooves was offensive to people with disabilities such as autism. It bothered me and a lot of the other fans, including people with autism like me. The episode on iTunes got deleted, and fans tried everything they can to save Derpy and stop her from being censored, such as petitions. However, sadly, Hasbro listened to those people who found her offensive, and unfortunately, this is what happened. Now careful! You don't want to do any more damage than you've already done. I just don't know what went wrong. They removed her crossed eyes. Her name was Change. And her voice sounded like a dumb blonde. Censoring Derpy like that is actually more offensive. Since it's like they're treating people with disabilities like they shouldn't be out in the world and do things. Now lately, around season 4... Derpy did get her crossed eyes back, and did come back at one point, but no voice and no name. And in earlier seasons, she did appear in the background sometimes. However, in the 100th episode, recently, she finally got a voice back and was her happy Derpy self. However, her name in the credits is Muffins, and not Derpy. And this bothers me and a lot of other people. She should be called Derpy because it is not offensive offensive at all. And it's the name given to her by the fans. Derpy shouldn't be censored at all. 
She should be free to be who she is. People with disabilities adore Derpy and do not find her offensive at all. Heck, even people I know that aren't fans of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic don't even find her offensive at all. Some people have their eyes crossed, just like Derpy, including me, and I can't help it at all. It's something I'm very insecure about, but Derpy fixes that. A bit, in a way. Some people have a deep voice just like her, and some people use the word derp as a silly way of saying a mess up, and not in a bad bullying way. It originally came from Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park, and they use the word derp as a silly way of saying oops. Not offensive at all. To me, Derpy Hooves is a voice for people with disabilities, and someone people can look up to. And not to mention, for the Make-A-Wish thing, the show added a background, a, a, a pony background character in a wheelchair. There's even other cartoon characters that tend to be silly, such as Dopey from Snow White, Patrick from Spongebob, Gurr from Invader Zim, and many others. So why is Derpy offensive? Could it be because ignorant people just want to shelter people with disabilities? That's sad, and really disgusting. And to those people, you need to understand that Derpy's not offensive. To Hasbro, please keep her name the way her fans named her, and don't give in to ignorant people. We will not be censored, we will not be sheltered, and we will not be treated this way. I hope people understand and care why this is important to me and others. We love you, Derpy, and you'll always have a place in our heart. Hi, you're with me, Christian. And today I'm joined in the studio by Zach Bowen, who's a second year RMIT student. Um, and I believe you want you uh, have aspirations to become a freelance graphic designer eventually? Yes. Awesome. And Zach is also on the, on the autism spectrum or has Asperger's or what, 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 what do you prefer to say? Autistic? As- Asperger's syndrome. Asperger's yeah. syndrome. Still, still holding on to that one, Aspie. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> but Aspies, as, as the others like to be called, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so like when um, yeah, the whole DSM five thing, um, Asperger, uh, Asperger's no longer being like a diagnosis, and that was that something that you think they should have kept? Like, uh, not not speaking for like everyone who's autistic or Asperger's, but just you yourself. Is that an identity you preferred? I feel <laughs> like Asperger's. I feel like it gives it gives a name to something gives it a name rather than just being on the as, on the autism spectrum. Like there are so many things on the autism mm. spectrum. Asperger's is a name. It's what I. It's what who I am. That's what I am. As, I have Asperger's, and I feel like I, ident- I identify with that strongly, rather than just being on the autism spectrum. So I feel like Asperger's is sort of it's who I am, and I feel like having a label makes it better for people to understand what it is. Sure. Yeah. So it's more specific. You you think? Mm. So you're you're clearly um. Well, you, you seem to be very willing to disclose your autism to other people. Big hint is the fact that you're willing to do this interview <laughs> on a podcast, <laughs> and you and you're very yeah you you're very keen to email me and say that you wanted you wanted to chat here. So is uh, um have you been like that? Well, am I correct? Yes. Um, cool. I feel like most like uh, when I like tell my friends or something. Most, some of them are like, oh, what's Asperger's? Like, they've never even heard of it. So I feel like talking about it, sort of, it creates an awareness rather than just being, oh, is that like autism? And <laughs> I feel like, talk, like talking about it, telling my friends, most, most people don't even think I have it. They're like, oh, really? You have it? Oh, I didn't, didn't even know. But I feel like talking about it, people sort of understand what it is and people can see it in me. And I feel like 
it sort of, it's, it creates awareness, and mm. I just want people to be aware of what it is and not sort of call it. Oh, that's just autism with a funny name. Like, I've people have said that like it's just autism with a different name. Like, it's not. But I feel like creating awareness will help distinguish it. So, like, were you um, have you been like this this confident about it for a while, or is it? Like, don't necessarily have to go into the whole diagnosis story, but like, <laughs> uh, but you know, maybe just uh, like, what was there a specific moment that, or like, person in your life, or what, whatever that like got you to this point of confidence? Or were you just always sort of, as soon as you found um, it, yeah. Well, I was diagnosed when I was two, mm. and I found out like certainly in my early teens. But I think from then on, I didn't really feel there was a point in hiding it or a point in being ashamed of it. No, I feel I just feel like it's just me. it's just normal. It's just me. That's just a, something that's a part of me, and there's no point in going. Oh, it's shameful to be this way. I shouldn't really tell anyone. So I feel like talking about it. You know, sort of makes me feel a bit better about myself. It makes me feel sort of normal. Normal? Uh, how, how so? Well. Most of the time when, people, when I tell people, they go, you know, oh, I never really knew. And it sort of make, it makes me feel, it, does, it makes me feel sort of better about myself. And like I used to think I was weird mm-hmm. and different. But when people go to me, oh, I couldn't really tell. So it makes me feel a bit better. Like they don't really know. They can't really see that there's something wrong. Mm. And yeah, so I feel like, oh, okay, maybe it's not that big of a problem. It's not that weird. I should just talk about it, be open, open about it. Sure, and do you, um, can you certainly see the, the positive aspects of it, as, of it as well? Like, can you, do, do you think it helps you or just makes life more interesting? Or what's, what's your take on it? It does help mm. a lot, especially with my work, because I, te- I tend to be a bit finicky about little details and a bit of a perfectionist with just the little things. Um, and it really, it does help with my work. And, yeah, I feel like it... it it's a big positive in my life, and it's really it's really helped with a lot of things, like schoolwork and uni work and stuff like that. So you're doing um, graphic design RMIT at the yes. moment, yeah. yeah. So so you, um, like your particular type of aspect is you feel is it gels well with what you're doing? Most definitely, <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> I tend to use a lot of because of my obsessions, mm. particularly with um, Queen. <laughs> um, I tend to use that a lot in my work, or I tend to use um, music a lot in my work, and it te- it really it really helps having something like that to use as inspiration. Like for um, for example, we have a major project coming up in the next few next couple of months, and having my obsessions with Queen and my love of music, it's helped me create. It's helped me get this idea in my head of something I want to create, something big, something bold, and something I've never done before. And I think that it's really helped me a lot. Explore, it's helped me explore what I love in my work. So uh, a lot of the people, uh, a lot of Aspies, shall we say, um, talk about like the transition from high school to university um, being rather unsettling. Like I, I didn't find it personally, but is uh, is is that... Like, did you? Is that something you embraced, or how how did you feel about that when that was happening? Um, I found the process to be quite daunting. It was a bit, just a bit overwhelming. But I feel mm. like the transition was very smooth. 
They te- uh, te- my teachers at my school really helped. They did a lot. They did a lot for us at our school, and I f- and I feel like that their help, along with like my parents and my family, it really helped make the transition as smooth as possible. Especially the careers teachers at our school, they would come in pretty much every every class and just let, keep up keep up, um, keep us updated, make sure we keep them updated about what's going on. And yeah, stuff like that. So it was really, it was a really smooth transition. No, really, not really much anxiety or anything like that about it. Oh, cool! And the first yeah. day of uni, it was the best, best day of uni. <laughs> it was really exciting. So it wasn't, yeah, pretty good. Hi, this is Eamon here. For this segment, I'm going to be discussing the comedian Amy Schumer. She's very popular at the moment in the media. You've probably heard her name used quite a lot more than it normally is, because she's been in Melbourne to promote her new film, Trainwreck. Personally, I've always been a big fan of her work. I started watching her on her, t- her skit show several years ago on the Comedy Channel, and I've never looked back. She's a comedian that, honestly, when I first saw it, I didn't expect her to take off this much because most of her work is very critical of society. It's the type of jokes where she makes fun of, you know, double standards or, you know, everyday issues that often aren't actually discussed. That being said, she's also a comedian who is very much willing to poke fun of herself. She'll mock, you know, the magazine tabloid concept of beauty, but then make very strong jokes admitting to the fact she actually does still base her own standards around them. So she's a very socially conscious comedian, I guess. That being said, there has been some controversy recently. A few of her jokes have been deemed racist. For example, there was one time when I believe she was discussing Filipinos, and her comment was, I've dated Filipinos before, but now I prefer consensual. This understandably angered quite a few people, and look, in all honesty, I don't think she handled it correctly. It was tweeted at her that it was offensive to imply, you know, an entire race or rapists. Her response was a very, very weak one. It was, oh no, it was a joke get over it, which I don't think really is the best response, especially given her audience and that most of her comedy is actually breaking away from mainstream society. And honestly, I don't think that is a valid excuse. Look, if she she could have just said, look, I'm sorry about it. I see your point. I've learned from it and moved on. But instead, she got very defensive. That being said, she has also recently done a skit where she mocked helicopter parents and also people who obsess over their dogs, whereby she had very... Her and a few women were taking their dogs to a doggy daycare centre and discussing them as if they were children. This takes a strong look at hipster culture, but also one thing that is worth noting is there was a comment about them not wanting to get their dogs vaccinated because it causes portism. Well, I didn't get my guy vaccinated because Jenny McCarthy said it can cause portism. So she is definitely worth listening to. I'm personally a very strong fan. So yes, look, I honestly think Amy Schumer is definitely worth watching. Thank you. Hey, it's us again, and we're here to talk more about invisible disability and passing in neurodiversity. So previously, we've been talking a lot about you know, what it means to pass and also um, how people with invisible disabilities are seen in disability spaces. 
So now I guess we're going to talk about, you know, the, the emphasis of passing and what it's like for autistic people. Have you seen anything about about this amongst your autistic friends as an ally? Um, I've seen it a lot. I actually went to a group thing. I went with my sister. Um, I knew quite a few of her friends who have invisible disability and we had to go via the special entrance to this place where it was being held and you had a security guard there and they were like, oh, you know, we've got to make sure that only the disabled people are using the lift. Um, Every single person there, um, bar me, was disabled Um, and the security guard literally looked at everyone, pointed at all the physically disabled people and said, they can go in the lift, you guys can all walk. And I actually had a friend who has chronic fatigue um, and so it's really hard for her to walk up heaps of flights of stairs that really depletes her energy very very quickly um and for this person to literally look at us and assess us and say listen you're disabled enough to use this um you guys don't even look disabled you can just go bugger off that's really offensive and that comes again to that whole passing is not a privilege and again owning spaces it was perfectly acceptable for the people who were physically disabled and wheelchair users to own the lift space but for anyone else not okay mm-hmm. um and that came from someone who is a body clearly not mixing <coughs> in the disabled um <coughs> world they're not yep. in that sort of uh area much so it's even harder for them to understand. But mm. the, I think the worst part of that is when it comes from someone who's supposed to know. And um, I think first impressions are really, really important. And I think that that's what people base on. So if you're going to walk up to someone and say, hey, you know, I'm Julia or whatever, and you introduce yourself and la, 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 and they go, oh, you know, this person, yeah, they're having a conversation with me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Clearly they're all, they're just here for someone else or they're, mm. you know, they're just visiting to find out some information or whatever. And... That can be harmful because as yeah. soon as you bring up something, you're like, oh, I want to talk about this. And they're like, oh, you don't really know anything about that. And it's like, well, yeah. no, I do. And also, I think it's also really important for allies as well to kind of have access to stuff like this. Because, you know, say if there is someone who is visibly disabled, um, like maybe they're a wheelchair user, you know, sometimes allies are there to serve a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Like even mm-hmm. if you're not necessarily a formal carer, I know that, like, there are friends who will kind of, you know, you kind of need to help out. It's not not in a way that's evasive, but because, you know, they're like, okay, you're my friend, it's cool. Yeah, exactly. And I do that a lot. Like, I have a friend who um, needs a bit of help now and then. We go out a lot. And she's constantly asking me if it's okay. And I'm like, dude, I've known you since I was, like, five. It's perfectly okay. Like, you don't need to worry about it. But it... It goes to the same thing that clearly she does worry about it because if she's making new friends and stuff and then suddenly she needs a hand, it can really put people off when things are too much work or whatever. Mm. Um, and it, that can be really, really difficult to ask for that hand or just, you know, to go up to someone. Like, you're having a conversation, you're like, actually, can we slow this conversation down? Like, I need a, a second to catch up and all that sort of stuff can be really confronting when yeah. you don't want to turn that person off almost. Yeah, and it's, I think it's also like something that, you know, it could be particularly minor things. Mm, yeah, But exactly. sometimes, you know, those allies do need to be in that space and also in order for them to do their job properly, 
Mm. Like, mm. you know, you don't want... Obviously, we, we have cases of people being too helpful, which is bad. Yeah, but or forceful in their helping, which yeah. is really called hindering. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, how, how are they supposed to learn? Like, sometimes there mm. are times where... Yeah, you've got to get it wrong to get it right, basically. And there's always ah. going to be the, the allies who first come into it who go, oh, okay, you know, this is when this person needs help. The thing is, when you're first an ally, you're learning from the one person or the two people mm. that you know. So you learn about that person and it's quite easy to then associate that with others and to take what that person needs and generalise it to a whole bunch of people, mm. which is you know, not the right thing to do. So it takes a little bit of time to understand what to ask, what to say, and just wait. That's the advice I have to allies is wait. If someone needs something, they're going to let you know. Mm. Going back to invisible disabilities, I definitely think, and like this is this is something that I probably don't have to deal with, which I'm quite happier with, but people who need a pension and they have to prove that they're disabled... Yeah. Um, especially if it's a condition where I know that with chronic pain, some days people can walk, some people they can't walk. It really depends on the day. Yeah. To have a full assessment of you know what support they need, you need to be looking at them for like a month. Yeah, exactly. And seeing you know. And the whole idea of um, being capable to work. I had a friend who has epilepsy, and it really fluctuates a lot. And she worked on an election campaign for about three months full-time. And she, at the last week, had had um, a a fit, basically an epileptic fit. And she'd had to have the rest of that week off. And she'd had to come in late some days and all that sort of stuff. But all that Centrelink took that was as you work three months full-time. And she said, well, the thing is, if if I reapplied for that job straight away to do another three months, I wouldn't get that job because I wasn't reliable enough. And I was lucky to get this work and I was lucky to get paid full time for that. But that does not, you can't generalize that experience to my whole working life because it doesn't work like that. And people forget that disability isn't just a static thing. It's constantly Mm. changing and moving. And, yeah, disability isn't just a one-size-fits-all as well. So when we put towards people um, a certain measure that they have to meet, that measure needs to change and move with that person because that person changes and moves all the time as well. Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, and I've I've also like I've known people with similar issues who would say like you know they might have different sleeping habits. They might have you know if there's if they go f- and have a really difficult time that can throw them off for a week. Yeah, know. exactly. Yeah, you have like yeah, and this is this is what she had. She'd had basically an epileptic fit, and that had put her out for a really long amount of time. And she people said, who- I was just lucky that it hadn't happened until the very end, Mm. but there's no way that she can work full-time all the time because as soon as she has one, she's out for at least a month or at least uh, three to four weeks. And also, like, I imagine people who have serious migraines would also have similar issues. Yeah. Well, they can make you, you, 
nauseous, they can make you throw up, um, they really can throw you out for at least a whole day. And then if you don't seek enough attention for that, if you don't deal with that issue, it can go on and on and on and on. I know I've heard of things where people have um, gone weeks with consistent migraines and haven't been able to work, see people stay at home because they they can't get any anything to help with that problem. So have you um have you met other people on on the spectrum or have Asperger's or since you found out when you were a teenager? Um I can't remember how long it was ago when I joined. I'm not part of it anymore, but there's this at the Western Autistic School there was this group on a Saturday called we called it Saturday Club. Hmm. It was sort of like a, a group of teenagers who were on the who had Asperger's and we could sort of share stories about, you know, day to day life and stuff like that and bond and um just have fun with them and just interact and i and that that helped a lot trying to sort of um i think it's sort of like a therapy group like a therapy session which really helped sort of understand what was going on and dial down how bad it was sort of so try and fix it a little bit so was it like some coping strategies sort of thing or was it just like generally um Understanding how how your mind works a little bit differently and how you sort of fit in with the rest of the world, or it was a bit yeah. of every a bit of everything. Mm. A few it was um, mostly to do with um, making friends, interacting with others, um, coping with it too, and yeah, and associating with other people in the world because like I, mean, I find it difficult. I'm even sitting here, I'm a bit oh, a bit anxious about it. But I think going to this Saturday club really helped with my confidence and the abil- my ability to sort of interact with others. So I, f- and I feel like that um, a lot of people in the group feel the same way. Cool. So do you like interacting with others? So is that like uh, big groups or one-on-one or just across the board? I think across or? the board, mostly cool. in groups because mm. a, f- a few of them – at the time I spoke to, have I feel a bit claustrophobic in large crowds. Same with me, and especially one on one. And I've, yeah, that's, the group really helped sort of um, deal with that and help us with with that, especially large groups and one on one, particularly. So yeah, that's that's interesting because they're like really the two extremes: just mm. one other person and heaps of other people. So it's so that it's curious that you found them sort of both. Both challenging and like there, it seems like a bit of a paradox, but I, but I, I guess I can understand mm. it. So, with like a group of friends, mm. like you, it's a, a few people. Everyone's talking, so mm. you kind of don't feel like you're in this place of panic. But if you're like in a large crowd and one on one, and it's just two people conversing, it's a bit sort of, it's a bit like alarm bells go off <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Oh, alarm bells are like not knowing what to say next or. Yeah. Like I, I'm even feeling that. I'm even feeling that now. Like I don't know what to say next. I don't know if I should keep going. All these things run in my head. But yeah, it's, it's not that, it's not that bad. Once you get, once you get into it, it's fine. Oh, sure. So, so is it like, could, could you pinpoint any of the things that you've, well, not, not just from that group, which is fantastic, but like just, just in general with all of the experience you've had up until now that, um, that you've learned about, like coping with that is it trusting yourself or is it learning to listen a little bit more or (laughs) is there anything you could like pinpoint or is it it'll just sort of it it comes to you when when you need it i've i've my (laughs) at the dinner table at Mm. at the dinner table at night i 
my sisters always have a go at me for being, you know, it's all about me. Like, <laughs> I'm always interested in what I'm saying. I'm not interested in what they're saying. So I'm sort of having to, to learn, you know, shut up <laughs> and listen to other people and not talk about yourself. So I have to sort of force myself to ask questions, comment on what they're saying, and then if the time's right, talk about what I want to talk about that's relevant to the conversation. Oh, yeah. So I sort of have to learn, I have to, learn to listen more and not be so, so <laughs> self-absorbed. <laughs> Which, yeah, which is a bit of a problem. Yeah, I can relate. So, like, do, do you do you find like maybe now as as a, as opposed to before when when another person is talking to you, are you um really attending to what they're saying, or um or are you thinking of something to say next? If you know what I mean, I think a bit of bit of both. Mm. Like most most of the time, like uh, if I'm having a conversation with my girlfriend, for example, mm. talking to her, yeah, trying to listen to what she's saying, but also trying to think of what to say next. But I got to try to sort of juggle what to think next, what to say next. Listen to her. It's a bit. Sometimes it can be a bit hard, and sometimes I sort of zone out a little bit. Yeah, that's oh yeah, what I, people that's, are saying. That's sort of sort of what I mean. It's sort of seemed like a ridiculous question at first because you know, of course, that's what conversation is. You're you're listening, but you're also thinking, okay, what what can I add to this? But um, but you know, zoning out is sort of a, a whole different thing. Like, they, mm. you know, someone might have mentioned something that will set you off on a tangent. In your head, along the path of one of your obsessions, and so <laughs> happens all <yeah>. the time. <laughs> kind of, they're, yeah, they're, they're two different things. Yeah. So. especially <laughs> when people, my sisters, are talking about you know five seconds of summer, One Direction, Justin mm. Bieber. Well, they mentioned they mentioned something like, uh, for example, you know, One Direction's performed at Wembley Stadium. Mm. Ticks, oh, Queen's performed at Wembley Stadium, <laughs> and then I'll say that I'm like, oh, I don't care, Zach. <laughs> so I got to sort of okay. Stop think. Stop thinking about Queen. Stop. Stop. <laughs> just listen. Stop linking everything back. Yeah. All oh, right, but uh, yeah, they, they might say I, I don't care, Zach. But like, I yeah. guess you could also say, well, I don't care about yeah. five seconds of summer. So, is, is yeah. it like, <laughs> do you feel like in in a way it is it is sort of even like that? Like, uh, conversations tend to be two people talking about themselves, but yeah. what they say next is inspired uh, is um, off the back of something that comes before. Yeah. Yeah, so Wimbledon definitely. in this case, you're yeah, talking yeah. about your obsessions, but yes. Wim- Wimbledon is the link, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the link. <laughs> are links are links hard to find, or um, for, for you, or do you um? Well, the Wimbledon example at least shows that you can, you can find a link like that. Mostly when it's talking about music, music or films, that's when I mostly find links like that. When I yeah. find links to sort of things I like. Sure, and and music and films are very broad, of mm. course. So does that does that help you to yeah, to relate yes. to other people having interests that can be generalized like mm. that? Or when when I'm talking about when my girlfriend's talking about makeup with me, makeup, mm. prosthetics, stuff yeah. like that. I sort of it's very very similar to graphic design in a way. So I find links there too, and I I think that's more of a positive than a negative because I can relate to what she's saying I can understand what she's saying and I feel like I can have a conversation with her about what she does and understand at the <laughs> same time without being that boyfriend who goes oh, what, what's what's a concealer what's a powder <laughs> I'm not that I'm not that <laughs> yeah. knowledgeable with makeup but yeah <laughs> having hobbies that overlap like that and have links is it really helps that's all we have time for today we'll be releasing another podcast on the 8th of August on Sims website in the meantime, you can look at our previous podcasts and we are going to have a full interview um, 
post it up as well. We also have a blog and we are accepting submissions from anyone aged 30 or under. Um, please look it up on our website, which is gmdtablog.wordpress.com. It's been a great show. Thank you for listening.